Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. On this episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Liam Palmer. Liam is a registered care home manager. He's an author. He is a podcast host. He is a tech advocate and he is such a nice guy. I wanted him on the podcast and you'll hear a funny story of how he finally agreed to come on. (laughs) So in this interview, Liam introduces us to his five layers of technology when supporting care homes and transforming them. We talk about the impact of COVID on him personally and how he manages when everything feels urgent. We talked about his career journey and where he is now and where he hopes to go and how he plans to leverage his experiences. And we have a really good chat around COVID and infection control and the impact of the early days when things were a little bit uncertain and how Liam was making decisions that had huge consequences if he made the wrong call. I absolutely loved it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I know I say this a lot. I'm so lucky to have the opportunity to speak to my podcast guests and learn. And yeah, I'm just, I'm buzzing. I'm on cloud nine. Um, Enjoy this episode. Hi, Liam. Thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Really good, Tara. Lovely to uh, join you on this podcast today. So we have to start with this story around how you came to be on the podcast after my initial rea- rejection. Oh, that is so mean. Why would you do that? <laughs> so I reached out very bravely to a very experienced, well-known oh, podcaster, yes. somebody I've, I've seen their stuff online, really respected, plucked up the courage and was <sighs> like, Liam, would you, would you kindly come on my podcast to share with our wonderful listeners your expertise and he's like, no, no, I'm bit bu- he's like, mm, I'm busy. And then it turns out, um, so you listened to Katrina Shake's podcast. That's true, yeah. And quite liked it. And then so he was like, oh, actually, Tara, I would like to come on. And then he said to me, I didn't think you'd be very nice to talk to. <laughs> Tara, how you relate this is just so completely mean. And, and, you know, missing, <laughs> dismissing. I mean, you put me in the hot water straight away. That is so unfair. Uh, as I recall it, uh, you did reach out. I was very grateful for that. And, uh, I'm grateful to, to join you today. Yeah. So in my mind, I wasn't sure whether I, you know, really fitted the profile of what you were doing, kind of being social care versus, uh, you know, more, I don't know how you explain it the sort of hospital PCT stuff. So I wasn't sure if there was a strong fit there. Um, I do work to death uh, um, running a nursing home and writing and podcasting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I wasn't sure if it was uh, an obvious fit. And where you say, well, what, did, what was it you just very mean said there? Um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> assassinated me at the beginning of the intro, which is hilarious. But um, it, it was some other oh, right, that I wouldn't be, 
nice you wouldn't be nice to speak to. No. So what I, I didn't mean that at all. No, what I oh. meant was I was slightly sort of not intimidated, but um I wasn't sure we'd get on. You know, I wasn't sure we'd get on. I thought I might be a little bit, you know, casual and colloquial for you because you seem very impressive uh, <laughs> in lots of ways. So I thought, well, uh, you know, I might not work too well. So, but, so, so then we spoke and then he yeah, like, oh. I mean, you know, we all make sort of, you know, loads of quick decisions, don't we, based on half information and stuff like that. So uh, it was only based on reading your profile. And that was based on looking at the words you used, you know, and they and were just quite you know, straight structured. So it was about me not thinking that, uh, not feeling that I might meet your standards. So it was the other way around. Sure, it's really good feedback, actually. I definitely take that on board because I wouldn't want people to, I think I'm casual and informal. If that's not the image I am portraying, I will look at that. Uh, All feedback is welcome, but it did make me laugh and we had a really good chat initially (laughs) and here here we are. So could you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks so much. And, and, and just to wrap that up, so when, when I did hear, uh, uh, you know, as I said to you, didn't I, uh, just to redeem myself slightly, uh, when I did hear you uh, interview Katrina, I gave you all that glowing feedback you did. Uh, She's very nice. how especially good you were and how you drew out Dr. Katrina, et cetera, et cetera. So I really saw you. So hearing you, I got you. So, you, you know, you, you were excellent. So That's thank cool. you for giving me another chance. <laughs> thank you. Lovely. Yeah. So thanks so much. So I've been in healthcare for about nine years. Prior to that, I was an operations manager, project manager in distribution. And so kind of came across with quite a good understanding about customer service, about how different processes fit together to deliver an outcome. Uh, so when I first came across, started a private hospital and I found it very transferable with industry. Uh, having you know studied management and and various bits, so you know good standards in industry did sort of uh, uh, transition across the healthcare, uh, and then I moved across to uh, manage care homes, good for some of the large groups, and ended up doing a mixture of interim roles, uh, regional roles uh, for profit and non-profit retirement villages, and uh, it, it's been good. It's it, it's been good. It's been eye-opening, and right from the beginning. Uh, when I understood what the families wanted and when I looked at how the um, some of the operations in care homes was sort of a couple of decades behind, you know, the best in industry. And so that gave me motivation to uh, eventually start um, writing a little bit about, you know, um, how we could sort of improve care homes a little bit and sort of so here we are. And what are you currently working on? Uh, yeah, so so I'm running uh, a 69 bed home in the West Midlands, a well-established home, and uh, I'm working on bringing that up to best in class. Uh, so best in class is about you know a, you know, a fantastic uh, environment. It's about five layers of technology. It's about great management structures, great HR. It's about a sort of coaching style, um, high levels of quality. It's the whole you know, everything, all the best practice that I've picked up and people that I know that can help me and basically throwing it at this <laughs> service in the West Midlands. So that that's my job. And uh, I also uh, write, I've you know, done uh, sort of two or three books on that, uh, have a, a, a podcast on care quality. Um, and in between that, um, have some sort of entrepreneurial interests around social care um, so obviously have no life whatsoever, but yeah, whatever, it works for me. <laughs> so you mentioned the five layers of technology. What what are those five layers? Uh, I, I was a project, uh, in a former life, I was a project manager for 10 years overseeing a, a programmer and very interested in how you can use uh, information to kind of connect the dots, uh, connect, connect silos, connect processes, connect departments, all those things. So I had a sort of an interest, I suppose, and an understanding of how technology can speed everything up. Obviously, it's got to be the right technology. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm defining how uh, there's lots of you know, great technology out there in social care now, and, it, and it's not as well known as it might be, which is a, which is a pet interest. So I'm defining what those steps are. So um, what we've done is uh, we've put in a layer of tech around the uh, finance 
uh, finance for residents, uh, payroll, uh, managing that well, because obviously that's your financial platform for the business, for the service. Managing that well makes complete sense. It's the first thing that should be looked after because that's about viability and you know, all those important things. Um, second part was was a nurse call system. We had one, but it was old. Uh, so we invested significantly to get a best-in-class one, which interacts with other pieces of software, which we'll, which we'll come back to. So that's, uh, that's the second piece. The third layer is going to be care monitoring with the use of PDAs, kind of like next generation care monitoring. There's some fantastic uh, suppliers out there and one I've used a few times, which is which is really very good. So that that's coming in in about two months. Then we're going to have EMAR um, and then, you know, sort of level five, six, it could be acoustic monitoring, uh, which is about falls management, or it could be a sort of piece of com- uh, a, a sort of compliance software where, you know, some software that's sort of tracks your attentions against the CQC Chloe. So there's really some fun you can have with technology, but the trick is to work out a bit of a roadmap because obviously you've got to take, apologies for using some cliches there, but uh, yeah, you've got to, take, got to take the team with you and often they're not particularly used to uh, technology and leveraging technology. So it's kind of like putting in one or two pieces at a time, bedding that in, getting people to understand it, embrace it, uh, become our new customer practice and then adding a new layer and then another layer and another layer so um that's that's what i'm doing when you're introducing this technology and just all of the elements and the foundations to improve uh your clients care homes when does the topic of budget come up so they hire you and then you say well okay if we're going to like this is the next stage this is the next stage my probably naivety makes me feel like care homes don't have lots of funds to invest in these areas but are you clearly you're working with some big big names i'd probably reframe that slightly uh well i don't even reframe it it's just really to give a, a slightly broader context there right so i mean you're right yeah for different reasons so so first of all most of the key or, or a lot of the key technologies are a sort of pay a regular monthly fee. Okay. You know, it's not a sort of 50 grand or a hundred okay. or gotcha. spend 200 grand. It's not like that. Okay. Uh, and if you imagine that, you know, a, a full-time carer, you know, is approximately uh, 1300 to 1700 a month, you know, depending on what okay. hours they do, something like that. So if you've got a big home and it costs 800 a month, well, actually it's less than one full-time carer. So actually they're not as expensive as you'd think. Okay. So yeah, it's real money. But then, I mean, with your, you know, uh, business hat on, you know, it's all about, you know, what will that mean to the service? So from a, um, I mean, you've got several levels, haven't you? You've got sort of running the service in a way that's compliant with the CQC. Uh, and with high quality standards. So uh, that means you maintain your good rating or beyond. So that helps the business to be viable. Uh, so that's about compliance. Um, but then also, you know, if you run the service better because you're not r- running around with bits of paper, which is very common in care homes, uh, then arguably, you know, the management, the admin, your senior carers, your nurses, whatever, can focus more on the residents on the lived experience and all the good stuff so actually you know the argument is that if it's the right technology if it's implemented intelligently uh, it will improve your service and, and ultimately kind of improve the financial position of the service you know indirectly because it becomes a whole lot easier to run the service basically definitely no so, I, yeah I, I agree and I think in my world in in primary care we're tr- always trying to bring new technologies in and I think sometimes it is felt that there's there's so much technology and every new sometimes where we are introducing new roles so we're currently talking to a company that provides first contact physio they've got their platform social prescribing have got their platform there's so much technology but the right technology yes implemented intelligently is amazing but yeah. it's just make it does take time it takes time to get it right 
Yeah, yeah, massively. I mean, you know, a couple of peers and I have sort of, um, you know, done a little bit of work about, you know, exploring the idea of a kind of, um, you know, an online sort of guide in a way to sort of chunk down the different categories of software and to see whether we can help put that together because it's very, very difficult to A, work out which technologies are out there because of the proliferation and the speed of it. Uh, and then to work out within that, you know, um, who is actually good at it. Uh, and at the moment, you know, the primary marketing of these technologies is by the suppliers themselves saying this is the best technology, <laughs> which yes. is, which is brilliant. You know, <laughs> and I honestly believe it. I honestly believe mine is the best. Well, that's great. You know, so there, there, there is a, you know, it, it's a, it's a fast, um, yeah, it's an evolving uh, sector, I suppose you could say. It's not mature. Yeah, you know, the brands aren't well established, really. And also the technologies aren't, aren't that well established. And you've got things like, you know, someone with a care monitoring solution will then add a bit of acoustic monitoring. So you know, there's, there's kind of like blended uh, solutions that sort of draw upon two or three different things. So it's, 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 it's quite complex. It's quite difficult for, uh, you know, anybody to actually research what's there mm. and to make an objective qualified decision on what to buy. And I, and I think that's partly why it, prior to, you know, COVID and stuff, uh, that social care has been a bit slow to take up technology as well. Uh, it is speeding up now, you know, which is good. But um, there isn't an agreement on, you know, like I was saying, my take on the five or six layers. There isn't an agreement on where to start and which are the best technologies. So uh, but I guess that's just part of something being new, you know. Do you think given your kind of credibility in the sector, you know, like you've written books, are, do people look to you? So when you release your um, your thought leadership and given, you know, the work that you have done, when you put out this is my take on the five layers of technology people mm. listen yeah uh i would say it's a bit more nuanced than that and that might be you know just me <laughs> which is highly possible <laughs> yeah, it's highly possible so uh on the um isn't this going great sort of spectrum of anecdotes <laughs> uh, here's a glowing uh, anecdote and then i'll give you the one that hates me in a far less <laughs> <laughs> uh, successful like so so on the isn't it going great uh, uh side um a friend of mine who's uh, a, a professional social care trainer uh master's degree fantastically qualified brilliant brilliant guy he's doing an infection control diploma and uh on his course he came across my work so he's studying my work as part of his infection control diploma uh, at a you know reasonably high level, I guess, uh, and that's really interesting. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. That's that's you know, and I'm bigging myself up a bit on that one. So that that felt good, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a 14 hour article. It took me 14 hours to write. I co-wrote yeah. it with, uh, well, uh, with input from uh, you know, Umesh Prabhu, the uh, NHS director. Uh, with an ex-healthcare um, lawyer, and also Josie Winter, who's a friend and peer infection control specialist, and I did an episode with her. So, yeah, it, it, it was an informed uh, view, uh, and it was at the beginning when the outbreak was getting serious, and um, where I was working at the time weren't making good decisions on it, and I knew they weren't because I understood about transmission because of the yeah. contacts I had. So I wrote that piece. I didn't enjoy writing it because it needed to be accurate it needed to be clear so that's why it took so long but i was really pleased to hear that you know mm. a year on that's being referred to so that that was really pleasing yeah i mean i, I you know some quite a lot of the articles are, i write some are published through nurses.co.uk uh which is job board and a, a friend called matt that runs that and, and i get some quite good responses on that i mean i think i i feel a bit like um a sort of recording artist, you know, in terms of, you know, you can have a big back catalogue and, and there's some stuff that people like and then there's loads of stuff that's reasonably average. So I, I kind of see it that way, uh, you know, but sometimes, but if you keep going, sometimes you kind of hit the spot. So that's how I kind of see it. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I wrote those three books. The first two were on strategy and values. People liked the first book, didn't really warm to the second. And then the third is about how to do the job, which was what people, some people told me they wanted to know. So that was moving away from strategy and, and tell me the fundamentals. So 
that was a market need that I wrote for. Whereas the first two, I was, you know, sharing these quite interesting stories that I wanted to share. So the third one was about, you know, meeting the market need. So I, I don't sort of take an influencer status or anything like that. I, I don't really do that. I, I try to create content that will stand the test of time. So I don't, I don't put out regular, and I told you I'm a little bit of a Luddite with social media, <laughs> uh, you know, self-confessed Luddite. Uh, um, not because I'm, you know, not happy with social media, but, but, you know, some articles I've written, I, I spend a year on one article because I'm trying to tease out what I think the truth is. I'm trying to, you know, um, take those complexities and make them clear. So, so some articles have taken me a year and it's only 600 words. So, so I've accepted that's me. So I try to, when I put stuff out, I try to make sure it's good. Uh, it's well thought through. It's, it's worthy of the viewer or listener's attention. Uh, and that's my way versus regular tweets. And this is what I'm doing, or this is who I am, or this is my cat, or this is my dinner for today, or here's my witty quip or something. Nothing wrong with that. Lots of people do really well. Yeah. And, you know, and it's nice. It's not being isolated. It's meeting people you know that works for loads of people and I'm, I'm very supportive of that it's just not my way so i just kind of accepted well this is my way so when i do release something often people will look at it because they know a lot of thoughts gone into it so that seems to be that seems to work for me um but yeah i, I don't take that influencer status because yeah i just no i try to give some good material where i can would you say your career is very well thought out? So given that you've got your books, you've got the podcast, your you've got your own business, like have you are you quite strategic in what you do? Yes, I am. Um but the outworking of it is like the earlier question answer a bit okay. new. So so possibly a bit like you i'm very driven i've always been very driven it's an internal sense of drive uh you know about purpose meaning contribution and that sort of thing about doing my best doing my bit sort of thing and i tend to i mean saying i'm a bit intuitive sounds pretentious i just can't think of a different word so forgive me so but, but i tend to have a sense about moving in a particular direction so that's what I tend to have. And then I, I tend to go that way. After a while, when I look back, there's a kind of sense to it. But the sense is not there at the beginning. <laughs> what direction are you currently moving in now? Uh, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's leveraging some of the experiences I've had uh, with people I've you know, met with the podcast, uh, some of the experiences running residential services, uh, looking at what the gaps are. So two, two sort of entrepreneurial interests are, uh, creating some qualifications to fill the gaps for registered managers. That's, um, uh, an interest I've had for a couple of years, I've done some work on to develop. And the other one is to help um, care providers find out about the great tech that's out there, because that's another way of helping them to create better quality. And quality is what I'm, you know, really, really interesting because that's, you know, it's better outcomes for the people that use care services. So that means something to me personally. So, so those, you know, uh, those I, I seem to be converging towards those two, um, you know, and, and the sort of podcasting and writing seems to be kind of blending into one, sort of taking me towards that sort of destination because it's useful being a registered manager looking at software or looking at qualifications because you're from within yeah sector you know you get it so although it's causing me to sort of overwork i bring a useful perspective to these projects not a genius perspective and not a particularly clever perspective but a useful one <laughs> would you ever or do you see a time when you're not a registered manager but being a PCN manager, being a primary care network manager, at the moment, I have got like a three-year vision, but at the mm -hmm. moment is very important to me because there's nothing wrong with advising people not doing it. But it is important at the moment for me to do it, for me to really understand what it's like on the ground and right. not give theoretical answers. But That's there it. will come a time when it's 
I won't do that. But I think at them, I wrestle with, do I, do I need the status? Do I need the title of being the person that actually does it? Or can I just advise? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, t- I totally get that. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's similar to, to my quandary. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, the, the closer you are to, the reality of the uh, dynamics involved in running a managing a service in some way, the more relevant your input is. Um, so that's the bit that we don't want to change because otherwise, you know, the, the brain is, is such that, you know, what we learned four years ago, unless we've updated it, we assume things are the same and we, and therefore we would assume that our insights are valid but they're valid based on information from four years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, quite how, uh, you know, one stays um, abreast of that, you know, it, it could be through, you know, uh, yeah. J- j- yeah. It's, it's through team, isn't it? You grow yeah, your team. Yeah. I, I think, you? I think it's possible, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I think, and I mean, I'm interested in, 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 in learning and, you know, uh, the bigger picture about how things fit together and stuff like that. So I think, you know, uh, I mean, I enjoy um, taking a service and, and doing something special with it. I see it as almost like art in a way, you know, trying to take a team and, and you know, really direct. So I, I enjoy that. But actually, if I step back from it, you know, I'd make a bigger contribution to the sector by doing it at a slightly bigger level, you know, yeah. bigger in terms of to be able to impact more rather than put all my energy into one service so i think it's a natural outworking isn't it it's kind yeah. of this is good but how can i contribute more type of thing this is like all in good time you know like when yeah. the, the t- there'll be a client or something will happen where you think this is going to be my last <laughs> and then yeah, like, yeah, we'll move on to the next completely. Yeah. and i mean and i think to answer your question directly yeah i i i, I mean I've done a regional uh, role before and, 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 and sort of running multiple services is something that beckons within my current role. Uh, but, but yeah, I think, you know, being a registered manager is, is good, but you know, it, it is your, you are effectively on call 365 days. So, you know, I'll even think about, I'm not a big drinker and I have been, but you know, I would think about having more than one drink and any one day, just in case the phone rings, you know, yeah. and, and I've got to go in. And there's all this, you know, the brain never really switches off because at any one point you've got to get involved. I mean, I have various WhatsApp groups with my sort of layers of managers and, and heads of departments and stuff like that. So I see an input into those seven days because that's part of, you know, good communication for me. So I don't want to do that all the time, you know, because it, it, you know, I'm happy to put all my energy into the service and what I'm doing because it's just me, you know, it's not a big sort of lot of people at home. There's no kids to look after, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm good with that. But yeah, I'd like to at some point have a bit more space for non-work. You, know? <laughs> you mentioned you had a client not making good decisions about infection control when COVID first kind of, when the outbreak yes. first happened. That's true. That's true. What? It's going through your mind and how do you try to influence your client to make better decisions when the consequence is so serious? This was a very delicate and difficult matter. And, you know, this is where, um, yeah, being a registered manager, sometimes you, you know, you've got to follow conscience and you've got to step up and, you know, be the bigger person uh, and, and really weigh, you know, risks uh, to to the residents, to yourself, uh, to the service, and and really look where it's all going to go and take a qualified view. And and, and this was really difficult uh, with a particular organisation whose forte was not care homes. Um, good people, uh, decent people, well-meaning people. Uh, they were struggling to, you know, I mean, they were following the government advice. But the government in those early days, as we all know, in retrospect, didn't know what they were doing because uh, they didn't really understand about transmission. So I did only because I had some people advising me uh, who were nurses and clinicians. So I kind of was really fortunate to understand what the real issues were because it wasn't what was going out in the media. So I understood that. And so we had this difficulty where I was a couple of layers, you know, 
below the key decision maker. The decision maker was actually making wrong decisions uh, based on transmission because they didn't really understand it, but they were following the government. Okay. So we're in this difficult sort of place. And, and what it came down to, it came down to uh, someone who was suspected of having COVID who worked in the service I was overseeing. And she was on shift. She went home and appeared to have COVID symptoms. So the question was, did she potentially transmit that to the staff she worked with during the shift? And if she did, then those people should be isolated, which is what happens now, later, yeah. right? But at the time, um, that bit wasn't clear. So what the employer was saying is, whoa, you know, you can't take those off. What about my bill? What about the agency? What about this? What about that? But obviously the transmission doesn't care about such things. Yeah. And we had all these vulnerable older people at this service. And it was a kind of within an hour, I needed to take a view as to do I follow, you know, the, the client and, and stay in with them and follow their instructions and XYZ. But then wait a minute, if I don't follow them and it goes wrong. So I played it through in my head. I also talked to this nurse I was working with and I played it through. So I thought, well, if we get it wrong, right? If there has been transmission, we don't take, we don't isolate those people. There's a risk that an older person in the service could die because of COVID, right? So what will happen there? So this is based on, you know, um, uh, you know using your imagination to play it forward, right? Mm. So that happens uh, a year or two later, it's in a court, you know, why did that go wrong? Why did that happen? X, Y, Z. And, the, the 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 main things that would be discussed would be the organization saying you don't need to you know you don't need to do that but then if it goes in front of a judge the judge could say well okay the organization said that but they're not specialists in care liam you are <laughs> i can see you are because you've got books on it yeah. <laughs> you've worked in lots of services so in this instance the authority and the expert was you and not the employer so if the employer didn't know what they were doing they asked you to do this why did you go along with it why did you not do what was safe according to what you understand with your level five and da, 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 da. so i thought if we played that one out i did know so why did i follow <laughs> the client rather than what I know. So I thought, it's just not going to end well. So who, who's going to be blamed at the end? The employer could say, well, you know, we didn't say that. Or actually, yeah. we're not the experts. <laughs> so I just thought, in the end, I might get blamed for it, basically. And I could have the death of a person on my hands um, and a court case in two years' time to explain what happened in that hour. <laughs> Which way are you going to go? So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do the right thing. According to... Uh, good clinical practice because the nurses were a hundred percent clear yeah, that yeah. what you do is you lock it down and anyone who was in contact with them, you bring out of the picture. That is an established and understood protocol. Okay. So I decided to follow the uh, wisdom of the clinicians and to not follow the employer. Uh, so, so we had a bit of a difference, uh, let's say. Uh, some months later, obviously the government agreed to pay for people being going off. And then they sort of said, oh, we, oh, we didn't mind. But at the time, they really did mind because it was like I had sent people home without authorization. Okay. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's my reputation. Uh, I don't want to cause harm to anybody in my care career that was preventable. And so that was the decision I took. But it's a tough one, yeah. And that's why I wrote that article because it's really, it was really hard to work out what was right and wrong with this COVID. Um, legally, you need to follow the government, but what if the government is behind the curve on good practice, which in retrospect it was. So in the end, I think my responsibility was to follow good practice, <laughs> which was over and above the government's guidelines. This may sound like a silly question, and you don't have to be an expert in something to set up the business. but it, interesting that you've mentioned you know like your employer or the employers will say yes I own the care home but I'm not the you know like I'm not the specialist so yeah. what backgrounds do your clients come from and I know you can't speak for them but 
is setting up a care home really, really profitable? Why would somebody go into it if they didn't have that expertise? Yeah, it's it's a complex question. Um, I mean, I think, you know, in the old days, maybe old days, but, you know, go back sort of five, 10, 15 years, uh, certainly 10 years, you know, care homes, you know, a bit of a cash cow, basically. Now that sort of national minimum wage has gone up, which is really positive for all the people who are recipients of that, uh, but from a cost control perspective, it's really, you know, put up costs, staff costs massively. Uh, without the uh, accompanying fee increases. So what was a cash cow for, you know, a simple care home to have local authority funded residents, um, people could make quite good money out of that, the owners could. Uh, but now that the minimum wage has gone up so much without accompanying fee increases, it's not easy to make money uh, from it. Also, the CQC is a lot stricter uh, in how it's applying the Chloe's. So in lots of ways, running care homes is not an amateur's game anymore, I would say, or it's becoming that way. But nevertheless, you know, there's a sort of romantic appeal, I think, <laughs> for organisations and individuals to uh, run a care home. I mean, I mean, certainly from my perspective, I mean, I, I, I have uh, sort of chosen to spend my time uh, working with the you know, older people in care homes, and obviously a very big market, uh, and it's it's especially rewarding. There's something, it's a cliche, something magic about it, something special about it. Being uh, with people in their last few years and being able to be part of that as a job, uh, despite a complex sort of compliance uh, environment and, and various things, it's still, you know, pretty good. It's, it's something something nice, something something special, especially if you get it right. So I understand the appeal. If someone's owned a care home, they kind of like it and want to want to own a few more. Uh, and there's also this belief that, you know, you know, that they're a rock solid investment. I think with those cost differences, uh, not necessarily, you know, nurses, for example, the wage has gone up from 11, 12 pounds an hour to 18, 19, 20 pounds an hour. So if you've got a nursing home, your wage bill has gone up massively. So, you know, there's lots of things that compound it that make it less attractive. However, it's a very, very popular asset classes. Lots of people still want to get into them, uh, still want to buy them, still want to run them. So it's still considered to be very attractive. Interesting. And you mentioned, obviously, you like to work very ambitious. COVID has been tremendous for everybody. How have you personally manage being on call all of the time and man you know like everyone's had to manage things they've never managed before and a question mm. that keeps coming up is how do you how do you cope when everything seems urgent and the dis and the scenario you just walked us through around the infection control it's like the decisions have such big consequences yeah it's true how have you personally managed that responsibility? Yeah, I mean, I, th I, I, I feel fortunate that I had input from clinicians at the beginning. So this was the missing link. You know, it should have been the, the people who are experts in infection control are the ones who really understand about transmissions. And, and COVID is a type of virus which follows the rules of transmission. And if you understand, you know, that part, you can... You can work out how to protect yourself from COVID. So those people kind of, you know, already understood how to frame this problem, but for various reasons, they weren't involved very much in the media and stuff like that in actually advising people. So I was really lucky that I found some people to give me some input at the beginning. So that helped. I mean, in those early days, Jan to uh, March and beyond, yeah, every day, because for the last year or so, I've been going into a service every day. So the whole kind of lockdown blues of working from home and all that hasn't really <laughs> hasn't really been my bag. You know, I haven't lacked uh, you know, human contact. So I, I haven't had that sort of, you know, difficulty, I suppose. But yeah, in the early days, I, I felt sick with worry. You know, every day I was going in because it, especially in the earlier part, it was all a bit unpredictable. And just living with that fear of if I get a decision wrong and someone dies, how am I going to live with it? You know, uh, and similarly, I felt the same responsibility for my staff. So 
uh, I felt very, you know, very committed and, and very kind of my decisions could be make or break life or death for them. So a lot of time talking about that and managing risks. But then, you know, again, having studied risk before, which is part of what you do, isn't it, for health and safety and various things, it's really the same principles, but I just spend a lot more time on it. But yeah, personally, I was very worried, a lot of anxiety, uh, you know, sort of, you know, this could, it's, uh, at times I felt a bit put upon, you know, kind of like, how come I've got to go to a service every day and, you know, the inspectors don't and, you know, <laughs> and the senior managers don't and, you know, they're kind of, yeah, oh, you know, we believe in you, you know, rah-rah from the sidelines. Uh, we're sitting <laughs> at home, <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Oh, I'm not putting myself at risk. Don't be silly. <laughs> That's how it felt at the time, which is, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just how it felt really. And, you know, at the time there's, you know, these sort of very senior people in the organization, you know, creating fireside videos of, you know, what they're doing and how their week's been and all that. And I just thought ridiculous, you know, what, you know, why can't you just come to the car park and see how we are, you know, make sure we've got enough PPE, you know, for me, you know, where's the leaders, you know, and I don't mean about, you know, breaching government guidelines or anything like that, but if people really wanted to, you know, they they could have provided a bit more support, but they're like, oh, no, 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 government says stay at home, I'm staying at home. Never mind, there's all these people, you know, going to the services every day. So I felt that was a little bit, a bit unfair. But I think that was, that was my anxiety and fear, you know what I mean? Uh, there, there was that. And I mean, I think in the last, um, how long, eight or nine months? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's lots of tests every day. Uh, I mean, I, I have a, a morning meeting with my team and we talk infection control every single day. Uh, and we talk about the controls that are working and not and reminders. So, you know, it's just putting a high priority on it. And, you know, what can we do to make it better, to make it safer, using separate entrances, more signs, more bins, you know. It's basically, uh, uh, I kind of look at it as, you know, if you really want to pass a test and the the pass mark is 70, you need to aim for 90. Do you know what I mean? So infection control, it follows a set of principles, a set of ways things are. So basically, once you learn what those are, the trick is how can you ramp up the levels of safety <laughs> in your service? So I've put my focus on that because otherwise I'd be, you know, gripped with fear. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's my way of coping with the, with the fear and anxiety is to be a doer, uh, be pragmatic and, and, and every day see what I can do to reduce the risk. Do you get approached by lots of general managers who want to forge a similar career to you? So do people say to you, Liam, how have you done it? How do you win business? How have you written these books? How how did you get published in, you know, equine and their journals? I, I haven't actually. I mean, I, I think possibly because I've sort of, come a different way because I've not spent my whole career in social care. So I've just kind of rocked up and appeared somewhere. <laughs> like, who the hell are you? You know, uh, I think, you know, I, I remember telling you a bit of this story uh, before we talked uh, one or two times uh, in the prep for the, for the interview. And, um, you know, when I wrote the first one or two books, um, uh, which, you know, we, we, which were stories, you know, weaving in about, person-centered, empathy, effective leadership, listening, all the kind of, you know, uh, good stuff of management, I think, and um, and applying it to, to social care and some of the obvious challenges and, and limitations within social care. And um, I, I kind of naively thought, well, you know, the, these are the gaps. These are some of the problems. These are some of the things social care doesn't do particularly well. Uh, here's some sort of alternative ways of defining that problem and actually overcoming it and i kind of naively thought that that people would actually want that in the sort of higher levels of of social care or or some organizations put that way and whilst some uh senior level people agreed with you know my findings i mean i met the cqc um head of you know inspection and my findings were the same as, as hers it was andrew sutcliffe at the time wonderful lady so I, I, I knew I was on the right track, you know, um, but my, my naivety was thinking that, that some of these senior people would be looking for that answer, would be kind of, do you know what? We're missing something. We need an answer here. And then secondly, 
that they'd be willing to listen to little old Liam Palmer who's been in social care for 20 minutes type of thing. So, yeah, so I, I, that was um, a little bit naive on my part um, because, you know, some people have worked in social care 20, 30 years. It's kind of like, well, we, yeah, I know it all, so I don't need to listen to you. I've, I've done it. I've done it all. I've done every okay. role type of thing. So, so I, I kind of didn't quite appreciate that. So, so that's where, as I said, um, the third book was about meeting the needs of the market. And then with the podcast uh, uh, that I've got, it was about not about me and my experiences, which would obviously be a bit, you know, potentially egotistical or self-centered, I suppose you could say. And it was about learning from people who made a significant contribution in leadership or innovation. So it's literally me asking, uh, like you're doing, Tara, you know, it's, it's asking some questions and then me shutting up and trying to, you know, chunk down the wisdom that they've got so yeah i i have a couple i have some people that sort of admire me and then i have some people that kind of ignore me um uh you know something like that really. so. <laughs> well i thought you were going to say there are some people that hate me there's probably a couple of them as well but <laughs> what does a good day look like for you at work what needs to align for you to leave work and think that was excellent i love my job well i mean i'm fortunate that i've got a nice uh anecdote for that this week uh, that probably covers that off a sweet spot if you will yeah i, I talked about how we're doing a sort of refurb uh, in the building i try to bring a bit of london style because you know I'm, I'm from the southeast i lived in london for some time and yeah, it's just a style capital, isn't it, really? And um, so I wanted to bring a bit of London style. And I've done that by trying to bring some cool colours into the care home to be a bit unexpected. You know, it's not quite what you'd expect. And it's I'm trying to do a sort of, you know, making it like, an, like a sort of quirky hotel, a bit interesting rather than and going against the sort of corporate idea of everything needs to look the same, trying to give it a bit of character sort of thing. So following that theme and, um, you know, put lots and lots of work into choosing colours and all sorts of little details to try and make this a beautiful place to live. And um, we put a lot of work into turning this bathroom into a hair and beauty salon. And because, uh, you know, in, in some of the um, uh, stronger, well, how can I put it, some, some of the private home care groups they do this magnificently you know what okay. I mean? so i wanted to bring in some of those ideas into this 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 service here and um we we, we did you know we did quite a nice job again like a piece of art we wanted to create something really lovely and on the back wall we've got this big photograph of uh, blackpool which you can buy you know you can buy these photos and then they turn it into a wallpaper for you that sort of thing and it looks really striking and the lighting's really nice and we've got proper professional hairdresser chairs and the mirrors the whole thing you know and it, and it, look, it looks it looks very nice and um so we had the uh local media in you know uh to to come and do an article on us which is you know a sense of pride for me sort of showing the local community what we're doing with this home and uh the the, pho the photographer was just blown away with what we were doing the ethos you know uh, because it wasn't what he expected. You know, he was expecting yeah. something a bit dour, a bit miserable, a bit, oh, God, here we go. And, you know, there's a lot of energy there and, and positivity and kind of like how – and a very high respect for older people. You know, how can we make their life better, their day better? How can we serve them better? You know, that sort of thing. Anyway, um, the key point was that um, there was a photo opportunity. So uh, we got one of the beautiful ladies uh, that lives here. Uh, we got her in one of the, um, you know, hair, hairdresser chairs, gave her a little magazine to read. And then there's a photo against the backdrop and the, the caption's going to be, you know, waiting for the hair salon to open, you know, <laughs> which is a couple of weeks away from where it formally opens. But what was lovely was that, um, you know, the, the, this lady, I think she was 90, she was enjoying uh all the attention the photographer was you know giving her and you know trying out different smiles and yeah it was almost like a <laughs> modeling shoot you know and it was really funny it was so sweet and she came to life and uh because you know she's had a whole life she's done everything hasn't she and yeah. uh i loved the the respect we were giving her that we were kind of i mean it sounds pretentious but kind of that valuing the person put it that way and i was just seeing it and um 
well, I've employed a couple of decorators to help me with this vision. And one of them is a, is a, is a young chap, about 18, 19. And he doesn't understand, you know, the big picture about social care. He's come to help decorate, you know. And I pulled him aside and I got him to see it. And I said, look, can you see what's going on here? And I said, this is what it's all about. You know, it's not about paint. The paint and everything is all about creating a lovely environment so that these people, you know, can have a wonderful time and feel good about living here. I said, that's what everything I'm doing. It's all about this. This is what it's about. So that that was just a sweet moment, you know. Uh, and the, and the, the photographer got it, you know, that, you know, I showed him some of the new bedrooms we're doing, which are kind of, you know, decent level of sort of hotel type standard and he saw, he saw the old ones and then he saw the new ones and he, and he was literally taken aback they were so nice and i thought great you know if someone who's not into social care uh yeah. comes to the building and has that sort of response to what we're doing then that suggests we're on the right track and that you know despite the problems of running a care home in a pandemic <laughs> and there, and there are significant challenges that have been last year that kind of validated you know the stress and the strain of the last year i love that liam if people want to connect with you where is the best place to find you uh probably linkedin yeah um i, I mean we talked about that briefly uh in as much as i sort of say you know things i like and things that i don't like because i'm doing a, a full-time job so you know, um, I, I haven't got time to speak to everyone about their new idea or new project. But if it's something relevant that I'm working on, then I'm happy to find a bit of time. Um, always appreciate, yeah, comments and feedback and people sort of reaching out if, if their sort of work, you know, touches what I'm doing. Yeah. Thank you. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.